0: Hello and welcome to Runners in Scoring Position here on UCCS Radio. I am here, as always, I'm Nate Jones. And with me, as always, is my co-host with the most, Charlie. How are you doing
1: today, Charlie? What's up, Nate? Good to be
0: back. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. It's a, it's a day of content. If you're a sports sure. fan, if you're a pop culture fan, there's a lot going on today. And a lot of fun stuff going on. Uh, we're going to be talking about baseball, and then at the end of the show, we'll probably talk a little bit about the NFL Draft. A lot going on, excitement. It'll start about an hour after our show, so uh, yeah. enough time to get to in front of a TV to watch all that and more. Absolutely. A lot's happened in baseball since we haven't really talked in what two, two weeks. weeks now. Yeah, yeah, two weeks. weeks.
1: A lots happened. Taking our load management break yeah, last week. Yeah, you know
0: we're just we're so good. You
1: know it takes a lot, and so yeah. just like just, another MVP caliber player, LeBron James taking a load <laughs> management.
0: Yep, and we yeah. want to make sure we're in tip top shape. Absolutely. And we think we are right now. So we're
1: going to start with around the horn. All right. Tampa Bay Rays starting pitcher, Blake Snell, will return on Wednesday from a fractured toe. Snell was reinstated from the 10-day injured list after hurting his toe, trying to move a decorative display in his bathroom on April 14th. Snell threw two bullpen sessions, one off a mound on Saturday and an eight-pitch session on Sunday. The thing that's going through everyone's mind, Nate, what was that decorative display? Yeah. I'm betting that he might maybe he dropped a lamp or something or he dropped something sharp against his toe or something big. Maybe it's a statue of himself. You know, a lot of decorative. A lot of Florida athletes have statues of themselves <laughs> in their bathroom. So it makes sense. But uh, the Rays haven't really missed him. They've been on top, you know of the AL East while the Red Sox seem to be recovering a little bit. We'll talk about them in a little bit. And the Yankees seem to be recovering, but then another injury added to the injured list. They just had to trade for minor league outfielder Cameron Mabin today, which was a big move. Usually the Yankees are set and they don't really need to acquire guys this early, but this is a sign that maybe this is not the Yankees year. And Nate, you would very much like that. Yeah. We'll see. So speaking of the Red Sox, Nate, why don't you take the next one?
0: Yeah, so Boston Red Sox starting pitcher Nathan Evaldi had elbow surgery to remove a loose body in his right elbow. Evaldi is expected to make a full recovery in six weeks. However, he missed two months in a similar surgery two years ago. That hurts the Red Sox. They signed this dude to a four-year deal. He was he's supposed to make a huge impact in the roster, in the bullpen. Not in the bullpen, but as a starting pitcher. He was kind of struggling in the beginning there. Obviously, an injury definitely affects how you're pitching. Hopefully, it's a full recovery and can help the Red Sox kind of get back on top. You know, they've had, we can talk about this later, but they've kind of had their ups and downs the past two weeks. They've, you know, played really well against some teams and then played poorly in certain doubleheaders. So they just kind of need to figure it out. They've made some moves. Hopefully, this is the right answer. Hopefully, they can get Nathan Evaldi back to his what they kind of saw in the playoffs from him. But if they don't, they really need to make some moves before the All-Star break.
1: Now, we're a little under a quarter of the way through the season. And the Red Sox are currently sitting at 10-15. and 15. You, as a Red Sox fan, are you concerned right now? The benefit of being 10-15 and 15 now is that you still have over 130 games left to go. Yeah. What is your thought right now? Red Sox, 10 and 15, sitting fourth in the AL East. I think, I think they're still a playoff team.
0: I think 10 and 15 is kind of the best case scenario when you look at where they started at certain points of the season. I think they really need to start playing a lot better against teams like the Yankees and AL East rivals. I do think they need to start playing better there. But they made some moves. They brought some people up. They're changing things. If I was a Red Sox fan, I'd be really worried if Alex Cora was just sitting back and not making moves necessarily. He wasn't changing players around. Now, this is going to be a hot take, take Red Sox fan-wise, but I believe they either need to release or trade Dustin Pedroia.
1: What What would you realistically get trade value for Dustin Pedroia? Not a lot.
0: I you think would you get, get maybe prospects. a Class A
1: prospect? Yeah.
0: I don't think you get a ton. Yeah. But I, I would release him too. Yeah. He's great. He's done a lot for the Boston Red Sox. Honestly, for him, the best-case scenario would be Red Sox release him. He just retires, or he gets traded and retires. Because obviously he wants to be a Red Sox for the rest of his life, but he's back on the DL again. And he's not played good baseball in almost two years. So as a Red Sox fan, you love Dustin DeJoy. You don't want to really see him go, but there's a lot of great infield prospects the Red Sox have. Just give them a chance to fly. Don't you, Really, he's a distraction. Right now. It,
1: and it frees up their middle infield for some of those prospects. Yeah, it really does.
0: And they brought up Chavez recently. And, yeah, I think that's the move for the Red Sox. Because they're paying him a good good chunk of money, too, to do nothing as well. So, I realistically, they'll probably give him one more chance. They'll Once he gets off the deal again, he'll probably come back up. Yeah, If he can be productive, hey, keep him. But... Yeah, I he just he, it reminds me of a lot of the Hanley Ramirez situation last year. They're giving him a couple chances. He made yeah. a couple good plays. They ended up releasing him, and I the Indians are the same thing most recently too. So with Hanley Ramirez, so I think we've seen the end of Dustin Pedroya. Hey, maybe a trade is the right spot. Maybe he finds a home with a new team. But what about Jackie Bradley Jr. I, I they keep him. He's too good defensively. Yeah. I you yeah. And I don't know, other than Brock Colt, what they would do outfield wise. Because they probably move Mookie to center. And then Brock Colt would go right field, I think. Yeah. So, and then I don't know if Brock Colt is a great player, but his bat is not always. Like, I don't think they're really gaining much from a Brock Colt bat instead of a Bradley Jr. bat when you're looking at it defensively. So, yeah, that's true. We'll see. Yeah.
1: All right. Top Toronto Blue Jays prospect Bo Bichette broke a bone in his hand while playing for Triple A Buffalo. Bichette, 21, was hurt after getting hit by a pitch by Syracuse Mets pitcher Hector Santiago. Bichette is considered the number two prospect behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who just got called up and will make his debut on Friday. So that that is a big, big news. Bichette, um, who uh, I believe was a shortstop um, was playing in Buffalo and he was expected to make his debut sometime in May or maybe June or a little later. This sets it back a little bit now. Okay. Um, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is kind of the bigger storyline of this is then yeah. this, this story with Bichette has kind of been pushed to the side, but um, Bichette should be fine. I, I don't consider this to be a big issue. I think he'll just spend a couple days and, um, We'll spend a couple, you know, maybe a couple weeks on the DL and then Guerrero Jr. will come back. But I think Guerrero Jr. is when officially the eyes are on Toronto baseball. This is when people will actually start caring about Toronto baseball because there hasn't been this much excitement since 2014, 2015 when Jose Bautista hit that absolute bomb in Rogers Center off of Sam Dyson and the Texas Rangers and the ALDS. But now Vlad Guerrero Jr. is up and he's been... The equivalent, you know, he's been compared better or the same as Fly Guerrero, who is all. Of him, oh yeah. Which is a great comparison to have, but hopefully he lives up to his expectations here. Bichette is also he's got a younger brother Dante Jr. who's playing in the American Association for Baseball, and then his father okay. Dante was known for playing with the Colorado Rockies for a while, so he obviously has baseball. You know, in his blood lineage, so should be all set to go. And Nate, why don't you touch on our last one? And for me, before we get into this last one, I want to talk about this afterwards, because there's a whole different discussion on what we can talk about here. Yeah, because this was a big issue. And I was, you know, not surprising to me how he got suspended. So,
0: yeah. So real quick on the Vlad Guerrero Jr. part of it. It's going to sell tickets. The Blue Jays have been one of those teams struggling to sell tickets. I think he's someone that brings uh, tickets, ticket sales to the team, for sure. All right, so our last pit for around the horn. Kansas City Royals starting pitcher Brad Keller dropped his appeal and started a five-game suspension after hitting Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson in retaliation for Anderson pimping a home run after his 50th career home run. Yeah, I I think it's interesting. This is a hot topic all around baseball. And I'm kind of interested to see where you stand for sure. But I think it can go both ways. I think a pitcher should be able to celebrate striking out a big home run hitter. And I believe a home run hitter can celebrate as he pleases after hitting his home run. The consequences that come with that should be accepted.
1: Yeah, and I... Tim Anderson... When I've seen him at Target Field and kind of throughout his White Sox career, he's always been kind of a boisterous personality. You know, he's always maybe even on the side of a little cocky and just full of himself. And, you know, I imagine being excited. I mean, 50 career home runs, that's that's a big amount. But I feel like celebrating like that is just kind of a little over the line. You know, once he hit it, he pushed it back. He kind of went backwards and, like, pushed his bat outward and then was kind of, you know, making gestures at the other Royals dugout and kind of going crazy. And I thought, well, maybe that was a little over the line. And sure enough, a couple innings later, we see him get beamed. And not surprised about that. I, you know that's a tough spot Brad Keller was in because of course there's a rule, you know, looking at you like, Oh, don't do it. But then, you know, the eyes say something else or there's the yeah. written rule where you want to kind of defend your teammates and defend um, not their honor as much as just kind of defending the team as a whole and making sure they're respected. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, Brad Keller's a rookie. So this is kind of a big deal for a rookie to go out of vet Like, Tim Anderson who's in his third or fourth league and just be like, okay, don't do that here. Yeah. Not where I don't know. I mean, I'm not surprised. And I think there's a whole rule about, you know, the unwritten rule. But then I think there's also part of irony from major league baseball and the way that they come out with this promotional campaign beginning of the year, let the kids play. Okay. It's all about these young stars hitting these home runs, having fun. Yeah. That's great. But you need to enforce your marketing strategy when you're effect when you're handing down punishments because this goes against the entire you know idea of letting the kids play. Because Tim Anderson, you know, Brad Keller should not have been suspended 5 games for that. Absolutely not. 5 games is when you're going out in a brawl and you're hitting someone or oh, doing something yeah. like that. That's 5 games. Okay? Brad Keller was simply just getting responsibility for what happened. Yeah, which is completely unfair. I think it should have been the other way. But that's that's a different different thing. I don't know what do you think about? Y- do you think it's five games because he's the pitcher? I feel like it was five games because of that intentional pitch. Obviously it wasn't a mistake. I don't know. I I think it was five games because it was a pitcher and it was intentional and it wasn't a soft fastball or anything. It was a hard fastball middle in that hit him.
0: Yeah. Now, (laughs) my perspective, if I'm a teammate of Brad Keller, I I love it. I I think it's great because obviously Tim Anderson did his job by irritating that team. I think that's kind of the job of a bat flip or a trot or uh, anything like that when you're hitting a home run. He did his job. In my opinion, Brad Killer probably did his job of, you know, like you said, defending his team's honor. Yeah. To me, it's worse as a teammate perspective, and this is probably what he was dealing with internally. It's worse from a teammate perspective if he just pitches to him normally or he pitches away from him or something like that. The fact that he's challenging him, I think, is respectable. You know, you... Can't believe I can't remember who did it, but it might have been Workman. I can't remember. But when A Rod came back from his PED suspension, yeah, he got beamed right away, and you know, from a Boston Red Sox perspective, it was from the whole league that they didn't quite agree that he got away with a lot before he was suspended. Yeah, and I don't know. I that's kind of <laughs> the thing is is it's what I love about baseball from both sides. I love that a guy you know, throws his bat in a celebratory way, that's going to bring makes in more fans. Fun. Another side, what's going to bring more fans is Brad Keller beating him on the other end. Yeah. Major League Baseball should understand these are part of the aspects people like of this sport. And also, it's the players, it's a pride thing. Because if you're not, as a pitcher, you should be able to retaliate in some way sometimes. Yeah. It's also the player's choice to not retaliate. Like, there's all these unwritten rules and stuff like that. But a lot of pitchers were saying like, I'm fine with a bat flip, but I'm going to celebrate if I strike you out. I'm going to, you know. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. So we should not, and it feels like a lot of, in a lot of ways, the the batters have more power than the pitchers do when it comes to punishment, how celebrations, because a lot of people are really hard on pitchers. Like, why is he, you know, he just struck out one guy. Why is he? Pump in his fist. Why is he pointing at him? All that stuff, and then they're like, "Oh, I love that Jose Bautista bat flip." Yeah. Really, it should be looked at evenly. And hey, if you want to bean some guy, afterwards, accept the consequences. If the consequences a five game suspension, that may not be a hundred percent, right? Or if it's a punch in the face. Kind of yep. take it either way.
1: But no, every player should know what they're getting into, and. Yeah. That's right. You have to have an idea of what you're getting into before you get into it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sure. So we're going to debut a new segment we're going to call Talk About. So just some topics from baseball, topics from around the league, and Nate and I will kind of discuss them. First two are going to be the same, different topics on them, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Christian Yelich. Is Christian Yelich a Hall of Famer, or is it too early? I think, I think he is. is. I, I don't know.
0: He obviously could, you know, Something could happen next year. He doesn't play. Obviously, he doesn't have enough playing time. But this between last season and this start to this season, he looks, smells like, feels like a Hall of Famer.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah well, I, I think it might be too yeah. early in the sense that he's not played enough baseball. Give him five more years, and he doesn't even have to have similar seasons these last two. He'll probably be considered for the Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, I... I, then the other point we'll talk about here later, but I just find it fascinating to me that you know he's with the Marlins, right? And he hits 46 home runs in three years with the Marlins, okay? Yep. He hit 46 home runs in one calendar year with the Brewers. That, to me, seems a little bit fishy. And I know people, and I've talked to people about this, and they say, oh, Marlins Park's a horrible park. That's a pitcher's park, okay? Miller Park, hitter's park. That's great, but that's a huge increase. And that, to me, is a little suspicious. Do I think he's a Hall of Famer? Not right now. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Okay. I think if he continues on his streak of MVP and MVP caliber seasons, yeah. absolutely he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, No doubt in my mind. Because this is an unprecedented pace of MVP seasons. I mean, he'll undoubtedly win the MVP this year unless something out of the blue happens or he has a horrible second half. Yeah. He will win MVP in 2019, and I would not be surprised if he contends in 2020. And my next point is, is I'll start this one off. Is Christian Yelich using steroids? Now, (laughs) this is a big argument. Yeah. Because, A, Christian Yelich, you know, physically doesn't look different from when he was at Miami. Okay. Yep. okay. But you have to look at the Brewers training department, right? What happened with Ryan Braun? Ryan Braun was using steroids too. Okay? He came the minors. Okay, okay. Big jump. Okay? Denied steroids. And then, you know, obviously it was found to test positive. So maybe it's something with Christian Yelich in the Milwaukee Brewers training department where they're giving him steroids or giving okay. him something because yep. for me this just doesn't seem natural. Because there's a lot working out and going to a different park can do. But when you're hitting, when you're going from 46 home runs every three years to 46 home runs every calendar year, that to me just seems almost
0: unreal. I think probably Major League Baseball has been tested a little more than normal since this spike, I think. I also think when we're looking at someone like Yelich. The same could be said for Aaron Judge as well. He was not putting up the same home run numbers in minor league as he did when he first came in the league. He's kinda sizzled out overall, but he was not a gigantic uh power hitter and then he came out, you know, of the minor leagues and was destroying it, you know, home run pitches. And so the same could be said the Yankees, you know, and their history with steroids as well. I think You know, and I I think I I believe this personally and professionally in a lot of walks of life, but giving people the benefit of the doubt. I think right now we can be suspicious. We can be like, okay, you know, this is a little abnormal. Maybe maybe he is. But I think we should also be giving him the benefit of the doubt of he's just a fantastic player that's found his groove. Yeah. And maybe this change in organization, not looking at like a Ryan Braun, Steroid situation, but looking at, like, a way of, okay, you've done really good. This, you know, this organization, their training plan, the park.
1: I I hope that's it. I hope that's it. And I, I agree with you on the benefit of the doubt. But when I saw that stat, that just jumped out at me as seemed that's almost improbable. You know, 46 home runs every three years with the Marlins and i know everyone's saying the marlins were terrible okay but how the other team does i will, well okay how the other team does necessarily doesn't affect how your individual performance is i mean to a, to a little bit it does but then i think okay 46 home runs every 3 years and then he hit 46 home runs in one calendar year at the brewers yep that to me seems unreal i don't know I don't know. I just, to me, I just, that just seems like, okay, there's, there's something else there unless it's purely his talent and purely, which it might as well could be, you know, yeah. who who knows what I'm saying. I never played college baseball. I never did any of that. And <laughs> yeah. he's, you know, in the pros. So he knows, but I don't know. I mean, if we're going to go back. We're going to refer to the stats department here. So, right now, he's batting 326, 13 home runs, okay. 31 RBIs, which is phenomenal at yep. this point. So, when he was with Miami 2013 to 2017, he hit 55 home runs. Okay? In yep. four years, 55 home runs.
0: Okay. Let me make sure I get that
1: right. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, 55... Home runs. Okay, I just said that. Nate, talk him. Wait, hold on. Yep. <laughs> oh, here we go. Wait.
0: So, how old is Yelich right now? Is what we're, we're like? He's where is he? He's Twenties something. Okay. I think when we're also looking at that, it does take some players a little bit to get in that groove. And he so is in his prime. So we're talking four years.
1: You know, it's a big, big so jump in home end runs. Of his prime twenty seven. Yeah. So right,
0: right in his prime there. <sighs> Yeah, I think Okay, I got it. Yeah.
1: So fifty nine home runs from two thousand thirteen to two thousand seventeen. Okay. That's when he spent his time with Miami. Yep. Okay. Two hundred and ninety-three RBIs. Okay. What was his batting average? Two ninety. So he's a consistent hitter. Okay. Okay. So he goes to He goes to Milwaukee. Milwaukee, yep. And now in Milwaukee.
0: He get 49
1: game. home runs, 141 RBIs, and a three twenty six batting average. Okay, so that's a... That's a big jump for batting average. Like 30 points in that's, batting average. That's a lot. Almost the same amount of home runs. I think, yeah. 10
0: off. So, so I'm yeah, just, it's a question, it's, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, benefit of the doubt, you know, something could be there. And he's only making $9 million this year. Imagine how much he's gonna make when he becomes a free agent and comes around to Milwaukee and says, "All right, time to give me your uh, contract extension here." But I don't know. For me, I was just thinking about that, and I don't think he is, and I hope he's not because if he is, then that is a huge disappointment in baseball, absolute huge disappointment.
0: Yeah, and when I when we're talking about steroids right now, you kind of major league baseball is probably looking into this pretty big. Because we're talking about the decline of baseball and viewership and not getting your fans. This steroid era for baseball, which I think arguably they're still in, is the biggest asterisk in their history. And it's so hard to overcome it. Because every time they have a superstar, not only does Major League Baseball, the commissioner, everyone, but fans just think, hmm, like what we're doing right now. Huh, is this guy, you know, juicing is... What's going on here? Yeah. He we should not be just this good.
1: How his play is?
0: How good he is? How talented he is? And that's sad. And it hurts new fans, old fans, because you know it sucks when, like, as a Red Sox fan, when David Ortiz's name popped up in that list, like, your favorite player possibly cheated, and yeah. you're looking at all these different players that had Hall of Fame type careers, but may never make it to Hall of Fame because of their name was involved in some way or the other. I think David Ortiz is not in that category because, you know, he wasn't as involved as others. But Manny Ramirez, one of the best right-handed hitters the game has ever seen, will not be Hall of Famer because of his involvement.
1: Yeah, same. And I mean, potential. I think I think Barry Bonds has probably a better shot of making it than Manny Ramirez. Oh, 100%. But I mean, Barry Bonds, you could argue, was more connected with steroids than Manny Ramirez.
0: Barry Bonds is the steroid era. Right.
1: When you think of steroids, you think Barry Bonds.
0: Or Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire as yeah, well. Yeah, the so. home run race. Oh, yeah.
1: I, but I think it's a conversation to touch back on and talk about because if Yelich continues on his tear, and I say here's where I think it starts to become a legitimate issue. If Yelich hits 50 home runs or more, I think that's when people will start to think, okay. Yeah. Because Aaron Judge hit 52 home runs. In 2017 and for me that makes sense because Aaron Judge is 6'7 and almost 300 pounds of pure muscle so that makes sense to me okay but Christian Yelich is probably 6'3 maybe 2 215 and he's kind of a scrawny build and not saying that you know people who are big automatically hit home runs but we've seen that with the Yankees and Stanton and Judge and those big guys tend to derive more power from their body yeah so maybe there's something with Yelich and he's deriving more power from another area. or I don't know. I, To me, it's confusing. And hopefully, as, I've, as we've repeated this, hopefully he's not juicing. But I wouldn't be surprised if there are allegations and he gets tested further. Okay. We'll see. All right, Nate, you want to take the next one?
0: Yeah, let's do it. All right, so next one. San Diego Padres, team of the future.
1: I think so. I mean, Tatis Jr. has honestly surprised me from when he's came up. I mean, he's yeah. been hitting phenomenal. Manny Machado's been doing great. Chris Paddock is a young pitcher, and he looks really good. I think Luis Urias needs a little more time to kind of develop him, develop himself. Excuse me, develop his skills. Yeah. He just got sent down to El Paso, A team. But I think once that team gets hot, I think I wouldn't be surprised they win a division. I don't think it's this year. Probably yeah. not next year give it another year, give it some more time because they have a strong farm system too. they have a lot of good young pitching to kind of build that rotation around paddock. Machado's not going anywhere. Tatis Junior's not going anywhere. Urias isn't going anywhere. It's a strong team. And since they have a lot of those prospects from the Red Sox and the Craig Kimbrell trade, and that, that was big too, but they have a lot of guys who I think in the next couple of years will be poised and ready. And, A fun thing to see in the World Series would be a Padres-Blue Jays World Series. That would be awesome because you see (laughs) Vlad Guerrero Jr., you see Bichette, Ryan Barucki, you see all these other guys versus Tatis Jr., Paddock, Manny Machado, you have Urias, Manny Margot, Adrian Mahon. You have a lot of these guys who are ready. And I think they're going to be a really fun team to watch. I think the Dodgers are on the decline. As much as I love Walker Buehler, they don't really have any... I mean, they have some other pieces. They have a decent farm system, but you can't compare it to the the Padres farm system. It's phenomenal. No. Yeah. All right. Red Sox and Yankees. Are either of them on the decline? I think
0: it's too early to make that assessment. I think we, we give them each another month or two, and then we can see. One, I think... The Red Sox definitely are not. I don't think the Yankees are either. I think we need to see both rosters healthy and in a groove. Once we see that, they don't tell like if the Red Sox are fully healthy, like we're two months from now and they're still a couple games under five hundred, yep. they're probably on the decline. The Yankees, we have to wait for them to get healthy. They're losing everybody. They just lost Judge recently. Like they're not in a good spot. Health-wise.
1: Exactly. You
0: know, no one likes Aaron Boone, but we can't really judge his performance or his team's performance yet until they have all their assets in a the line. Then we can really judge him, his managerial style, and the whole team to see if they're on a de- decline. With the talent they have, they should not be in the position they're in. But because of the health question, they could, they should be better once they're healthy. But Do if you- they're, they stay the same.
1: Do you think Red Sox or Yankees will win the AL East this year? I think the Either Red
0: way. Sox will. You think they'll overtake the Rays? Yeah, I think it'll be close. It's going to be a lot closer than the people think it'll be. but yeah. the,
1: Ra- the Rays are a good team. They're a better team than people give them credit for. And the only reason people don't look at the Rays and don't talk about the Rays is because of that dump they're playing. That's yep. the only reason. Okay, They were a 90-win team last year, and I bet if you asked a group of 100 Major League Baseball fans. Did you know that Tampa Bay won 90 games last year? I would say more than half would say nope. No. Because they just assume bad stadium, bad team, which is sad. Um, To take, I think, I don't know, I think the Red Sox are kind of in shambles right now. And And as Nate said, it's too early to tell, but nothing just seems to be going right for them so far. I mean... I don't know. I Jackie Bradley Jr. for me is concerning. You have your starting center fielder batting, starting outfielder batting, one fifty three, and we're twenty five games in. That's concerning to me. Yeah. I think the Dustin Pedroia thing is a big issue. I, I hope they move him, but Nate and I were talking about this. I don't know what they would move him for.
0: You not would much.
1: We get a we get a low end prospect. That's for sure. And they have You're to not uh, getting any draft picks. And a team would want
0: them to pay a lot of his. Exactly. because yeah, he's well. got a big
1: contract with yeah. it too. I didn't even think about that. Maybe some international slot money. Maybe that's best case scenario. I don't know. I and I the big thing for me was kind of the warning sign was when the Red Sox were hosting the Blue Jays. Yeah. And Chris Sale said after the game. I've never felt more lost on the mound than I did today. And he lets a guy steal home. I think for me, that was a big issue. Because ultimately, this is not a one-player issue. This is a team issue. When you have your best pitcher and arguably one of the best pitchers in baseball right now saying, yeah, I've never felt more lost than I did today, that's a warning sign for me. Because right now, he has a 7.4 ERA, and he's 0-4. And that's not good. No,
0: it's not good at all. Last
1: year, for comparison, he went twelve and four with a two point one one ERA, and he mat- he matched his loss total. He's already matched his loss total, and he actually leads Major League Baseball in the number of losses right now, of four. That's that for me is an issue, and I know yeah Nate's gonna say yeah we're twenty five games in, <laughs> and I and I know that, but but yeah for me it's that's an issue because if this were you know starter number five right and he's going for at the 7.4 year i'd be like okay send him down to pawtucket triple a let him spend another year or two perfecting his craft maybe a september call it. okay this is chris sale i mean you're on the books for him with 15 million dollars this year yep there's something that needs to be done or something that needs to be worked on because this for me is it's concerning I don't know. I just feel like there should be an obvious. There should be something addressed. And obviously, you're not going to send Chris Dale, Chris Sale, down AAA because <laughs> yeah. he probably has a clause in his contract yep. saying don't send me down. Yeah. If I were an AL East fan, I would be more concerned with the Red Sox than I am the Yankees because uh-huh. as Nate said we can't fully evaluate the Yankees yet because they have a league leading number of players on the IL. I think thirteen or fourteen at least on the aisle, and you can't evaluate a team that, you know, is missing its top two sluggers, is missing its top ace, is missing half its rotation, their bullpen is shaky, they're optioning players every other day trying to figure out what the right mix is going to be. So I think Red Sox, I would say if I had to pick one team to rise, one team to fall, rise, Yankees, fall, Red Sox. We'll see. Um, this one, Nate, if you don't mind, I'm going to take and then we can talk about this. Yeah, are the sure Twins that. for real? Yes, no, maybe so. Well, <laughs> I I think they are. Okay. And the reason why I say this is because going into Tuesday, yeah, the Houston Astros, who they were playing
0: on the road,
1: had no home losses their entire year. Keep in mind, the Astros played a formidable series of opponents, okay? Okay. The Athletics aren't bad this year. They're playing a bunch of other teams, the AL West, and and the Astros are always a team to watch. Twins won outright in the game in their first home loss, and I thought, okay, that's pretty good. Yep. But then, you know, I wrote the outline on Tuesday. Of course, a couple days after, their bullpen started to decline. And I feel like that is the one weakness with the Twins is their bullpen yep. and how to figure out how to solidify that bullpen, Nate, because ultimately that's what – won the Red Sox, their world series is their yeah. bullpen and having uh-huh. a strong bullpen. Yep. And what I found out is that if you don't have a strong bullpen, you might as well forget about the rest of your team because ultimately what matters is how you perform in the seventh, eighth and ninth inning rather than how you perform in the first six, because what matters is the ninth inning. Really? If you know, you could be up 12, zero okay, in the first seven innings and you could give up eight runs and you could have bases loaded no outs, 12-10 game in the ninth inning, and you could blow it, and that could be your entire game. Yep. It's not the starting pitcher's fault. It's not the first baseman's fault. It's the bullpen's fault because they can't sustain that lead. Yeah. So that's an issue. I think if the Twins keep their bullpen up, I think they win the division, and I would not be surprised because the Indians are not looking hot right now, and they got back Lindor. Yep. And Jose, Jose Ramirez, you know, I hate to say this because Jose Ramirez and I have kind of a love-hate relationship. <laughs> you know, being a Indian, I don't want to see him to succeed. But being on my fantasy baseball team, I want him to see do well. And he's only batting 185. Oh, man. So he's not hitting hot. Yeah. Right? And we'll I think that's, that's an issue, too. But I think twins, I think they are for real. I think that okay. they'll be good. Uh, Nate, let's... Mm, we, we can talk about this one. This one, this has already happened. Uh, as I mentioned, I wrote this on Tuesday. Yeah. Why are the Blue Jays waiting to call up Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Well, unless, and just in case you missed it, he has been called up. Yep. Debut is tomorrow. <laughs> Why? I think they were waiting. Obvious reason is arbitration. Because if you keep him down there for twenty games or twenty days in the minors, you get an extra year of control, which I guess makes sense. The White Sox were going to do that with Eloy Jimenez. Okay. They ended up optioning him. And then for a while, they were like, okay, maybe we'll bring him up. And then they ended up bringing him up. So they don't get that extra de- extra year of arbitration. But I think the main reason they were waiting, I I don't know why they were ra- waiting. Maybe something as silly as they didn't want him to debut on the road. Yep. Draw more fans into Rogers Center because I wouldn't be surprised if that's close to a sold-out game. Yeah. I mean, Roger Center is massive, but they could probably get forty to forty-five thousand fans in there, easy. Uh, yeah, Nate, do you, why? Why did you think?
0: I I your exact reasoning. Yeah, I think it kind of makes no sense. Mm-hmm. They're going to bring him out at some point. He's killing it in spring training, killing it at the AAA level. Yeah, I think it's not surprising at all. Yeah, and mm-hmm. there's there's a couple Guerrero's in Major League Baseball now. they will be. Uh, Gabriel Guerrero, uh, Vlad's nephew. He's right now in the Marlins, and I actually got to see him play quite a bit when he was with the High Desert Mavericks. R.I.P. Yeah, he played great in the 2014 season. I remember him a lot. Vlad was actually at quite a few games. Uh, I never was at a game he was at, but he would come visit our little, small, high desert town uh, to watch his nephew play. He has not had the most successful no. Uh, Major League Baseball career, his batting average is 167. It's one home run and one run batted in. Uh, but he's with the baby cakes right now. If we sell the Sky
1: Sox, we could watch him, but That's... we do not. He was he was actually a top prospect with the Mariners for a long oh, yeah. time. A long time. you in the All-Star Futures game. Yeah, I actually point. saw him yeah. in Minneapolis, and that was a big deal. But he was, I mean, everyone was like, oh, Gabriel Guerrero, big deal, big deal. And he's not really panned out. But Hopefully, yep. you know, we give him some more time and he pans out. Um, what do the Mets need to bolster their rotation? Um, to me... Make Tim Tebow a pitcher. That's... Oh, great. Great <laughs> idea. We should just end the show now. But, yeah. Tim Tebow, I think, not being up, even though he's not a pitcher, is big. Yep. Stephen Matz hasn't done horrible. Yeah. Um, to Steve uh, Jacob DeGrom hasn't done great. No. I don't know. They've been kind of average this year. I've been a little disappointed, Nate. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I don't, you know. Maybe it's a coaching change. Maybe it's... You can see this sometimes when teams bring in another pitcher, how it just changes, like how they... I notice this a lot with the Red Sox. The Red Sox were struggling. They bring Chris Sale in, and all of a sudden the entire pitching, just rotation, was pitching a lot better because they're able to learn kind of see what one of the best pitchers in the game does. You'd think they would have that with DeGrom, but maybe it's the culture thing. Maybe DeGrom's just not that guy necessarily. Maybe they just need someone in there. You know, The Red Sox also bring in Pedro Martinez as a consultant, or Jason Veritek. I think those guys have really helped. Maybe the Mets need someone like that, or maybe it's just not their year. (laughs) I think all those are the options, and I wish I could be the pitching whisperer but I don't think I am and I don't know what exactly they need but I think some of those options would be beneficial for this team.
1: Yeah that's true. I mean Noah Syndergaard's not doing great either. One and two with a, almost a six ERA so there's something wrong there It needs to be addressed. It's easy for us armchair commentators to say <laughs> that. Like, oh, it's easy there's something that needs to be addressed yep. but I don't know I mean there's an issue and needs to be fixed as cliche as that sounds all right yeah. this one's this one's a good one nate in a recent survey 33 percent of people said they would pay more attention to major league baseball if there are changes to the pace of play nate what would you do to help that
0: i don't think you need to to the pace of play i think you just need to make you need to find a different way to make it more engaging yeah you're gonna lose a lot of fans they've already lost a lot of fans yeah by changing the pace of play there's a lot of people who love how slow it is (laughs) believe it or not so you need to find another way to engage the fans and i know it says they pay more attention if there's changes to the change of pace but maybe that's doing different things with that pace of play i don't think it's putting pictures on a clock I, you know, it could be less warm-up time. Something like that, where it won't, wouldn't be as noticeable. But when you do stuff like that, then the in-arena experience is, is worse. Because you don't have games in the between innings. You don't have different things like that. Because baseball really doesn't have, like, timeouts like other sports where you could do in-game, you know, yeah. promotions and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> Major League Baseball, there's probably a lot of old guys scratching their head on how to make this. And a lot of it, I think, is just marketing of it. It's fun if you can market it to be fun.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: You know, if people are watching and are like, wow, this is boring. You know, I think diversifying a lot of it. You see a lot of teams adding women broadcasters. Tuesday was the first all-woman national broadcast game. Do stuff like that, and people start paying attention to your sport. Get women more involved with your sport, because right now it's a heavily male-dominated sport. Get more women, whether it's broadcast fans, definitely get them more involved. Diversifying is always a win for ratings. Yeah. Major League Baseball should try to do that. Whether it's executive, there's so many different ways you can do that. I think that's one of the ways, other than just you know making the game last two hours instead of three hours yeah
1: i i agree with you on that last one for against robot umpires i i go off and on about this because there's something beautiful about the inconsistency of umpires you know it creates drama it creates intrigue it creates people watching and develops these affinities and develops these relationships with these umpires but I feel like taking you know, taking robot umpires and putting them in behind home plate is something that would move the game along and be more efficient, right? And I feel like it would make the same call every time, which is what pitchers would love and batters would love that too. Yeah. So I I would be for it.
0: Against it. Yeah. I think the human error of it is what makes it fun and it's fun to discuss and argue. And yeah. I don't know. I something too perfect is not fun in my opinion right. and th- you know we i see all the points in robot umpires i can see all the benefits that they bring and you know we have a peeping tom as you might say in the studio right now um it's the illustrious co-host of the two-minute drill Phil pokey thomas he has no idea what we're saying i don't know if he can hear us or not no uh, he
1: doesn't know that i'm yeah you know <laughs> yeah we could be saying anything right yeah we can anyway. say anything
0: like how You know, pink really isn't his color. Okay. (laughs) All that and more. But yeah, I'm against Robot Umpires. And we can see that change in the near future. So, Philip, now that you're in the studio. Yes. Are you for or against uh, Robot Umpires? Completely against it, honestly. Takes a good job from a hardworking American.
1: (laughs) That's a very political (laughs) answer. (laughs) Uh,
0: But yeah, thank you so much for your input. Uh, We're going to actually take a break right now. And we'll be back talking about best player in baseball and the most notable baseball player on the decline. Man, I can't talk right now. We'll be back. All this and more. You're listening to UCCS Radio and you're listening to the runners in scoring position. We'll be right back. All right. We are back. Runners in scoring position. I know you guys missed us. Our friend, Philip Oki-Thomas, was in here. And he gave us some insight on whether or not uh, electronic umpires would be good or not for the game of baseball. And then we talked some more after that. He is gone now because he has better things to do, I guess, than talk baseball. Classic. All right. Classic so, classic. yeah. All right. So, our next topic. You want to start off, Charlie?
1: Okay. Nate, this is kind of an interesting question. Who is the best player in baseball right now? A lot uh, of
0: people say Mike Drops. And other people say Tim Tebow, and wow. who are we to disagree with those people?
1: If we're saying best Syracuse Matt, <laughs> yeah, you can maybe say Tim Tebow. <laughs> no, best player in baseball. Best history. player in baseball. Yeah, you no. Know. I say currently. I mean, Christian Yelich is phenomenal. I I would say Yelich. I mean Trout. That's Trout's a given. playing unreal or, too right now. They're both playing unreal. Yeah, I uh, I say Yelich.
0: I say. It goes Mookie Betts, Tim Tebow, Mike Trout, Christian Yelich. No, I, I think off it's Mike. <laughs> I think it's Mike Trout. I think Yelich is playing really well right now. Yeah. But I don't think we're going to see him playing at the same level. Mike Trout has been so consistent since the end of the league. He has never had a bad season, and that's almost like why, when we're talking about steroids, no one's ever considered him because he's played the exact same his entire career. Exactly. And Yelich has had a big
1: upturn, so. Well, that I mean, yeah, that for me, that's why I'm thinking of Yelich. Okay. And Trout and Yelich have similar production numbers. Just Trout has been more consistent for me, and he's yep. held it over a longer period. For Yelich, for me, this just seems like a, a huge jump. Yeah. A huge jump. So may I like I've said, hopefully he's not, but he he might be. Who knows? All right. Most notable baseball player on the decline. Now, this one, I I would have said Clayton Kershaw, but he's actually been having a pretty decent year. Okay. So, I don't know if my answer would be Clayton Kershaw. I mean, maybe, and I don't know why I keep circling around this guy, maybe Jackie Bradley Jr. Okay. I don't know. I mean, that could be one. I mean, he's great defensively, but offensively needs to step it up. I,
0: Yeah, I, I think you might be right there. It's really hard to like notice a decline this early in the season, too, because...
1: Yeah, and I mean, I guess you could look at last year, too. Yeah. Another year, kind of take a look. All right. Besides Bryce Harper, who is the most marketable player in Major League Baseball? I think Mookie Betts. Yeah, that's fair, Mookie Betts. Mookie I'm not
0: saying it just as a Red Sox fan. I think he's, one, we talked about diversity. He looks a little yeah. different than a lot of... The big names that are getting a lot of money, and I think yeah. he's he's a nice guy. There's that story, how he brought a tons of food uh, during the I believe it was the ALCS or it might have been even during the World Series to the homeless around the Boston area. He seems like a really good guy. He he's a really good player, and he kind of has a flair with him that guys like Mike Trout don't really have. Bryce Harper has it a bit, but once again, he looks different. He's, he could be relatable to a larger demographic. Yep. And he's fun to watch play offensively, defensively. So that's why I think he's probably the most marketable. Yeah,
1: I agree. I look you I'd say Aaron Judge, just because Aaron yep. Judge is big and a lot of kids love Aaron Judge. Oh, and he's the name Judge. A friendly guy, too. Judge's corner. Yeah. Judge's court. Judge is now in court. Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right, so instead of taking a break, we're actually going to switch into some future cast here, and we're going to talk about the 2020 Hall of Fame ballot. Okay. And we'll kind of talk about some notable names. So some notables who are eligible next year. Um, Derek Jeter, who people have heard of. Yep. Uh, Sammy Sosa is eligible again for the eighth year. Andy Pettit. We have guys like Curt Schilling, Roger Clemens. Barry Bonds is eligible again. Okay. Oscar, or, excuse me, Omar Vizquel. And normally the ballot Nate is 10 each. Let's just pick our top five. I'll go through my top five first. I think this year, or this coming year, excuse me, it's going to be Jeter. I think Bond, Clemens, Schilling, and Viscell gets in. I think just because it's a weaker first year ballot, I think Jeter is the only first year that gets in. Um, and I think Schilling gets in too. I Personally, I wouldn't vote for Schilling just because his baseball play is phenomenal, but he has had some issues after ESPN saying some, he actually got fired for at ESPN for posting a racist picture. And then he moved to Breitbart has been kind of, I don't know. I mean, maybe a little too controversial for some of the voters. So maybe that's why he's been, it's been taking so long for him to get elected. I think he's, he's trying to make a turnaround. So
0: he's been a lot quieter. And also, the Red Sox invited him to the home opening day. which not, big step. They've not invited him to a lot of different ceremonies, like the ten year uh, for I think the t- two thousand and seventeen. I don't think he was invited to that ceremony. He didn't throw the first pitch where they really invited a lot of uh, former World Series winners. So I think he's. I think he wants to be in the Hall of Fame, and I think he's starting to realize that his what he does outside of off the mound has really hurt him and maybe he's just trying to quiet. I don't think he's going to change his views on anything, but no, he'll be a little quieter to get voters to forget about it.
1: Yeah, I, I would hope so too. Roger Clemens, I feel like the reason why he's taken so long is steroids. Oh yeah. Steroids. I mean, he's known as the Rocket. 59.5% of ballots last year. He's one of the top to get in. And I think Barry Bonds gets into. I think this is the year that Barry Bonds gets in, and I think once Barry Bonds gets in, Nate, then I feel like everyone else will be able to get in. Yeah. Because I feel like once he gets in, then that'll open a pathway for, you know, Sosa. I don't think Sosa gets in. I think Bonds gets in, but that'll start to open the pathway for a lot of those guys who have been linked with steroids and say, okay, well, if Bonds got in, then I should get in. Yeah. Because, and here's what people don't understand that Barry Bonds had a Hall of Fame career. Before he was with the Giants, he had a phenomenal career with the Pirates, and he was not taking steroids with the Pirates. Yeah. Just for reference, we'll take a look at his stat line when he was with the Pirates. <sighs> so he was with the Pirates from 1986 to 1992, and then spent the rest of his career, 93 to 2007, with the Giants. When Bonds was with the Pirates, okay, he, hit, he had 176 home runs, in six years and he had a 275 batting average with two mvp titles and two all-star appearances okay. for me that's pretty good and three gold gloves and three silver sluggers in about six years yeah for me i've considered that to be close to hall of fame and you're adding on the i would say up until maybe the late late 90s, early 2000s is when we started to notice steroid growth. Okay. So I would say if you add on all the way until 1996 and he had 334 home runs Yeah. and a 288 average. And I think that that was better. I think once, and maybe you could even say, you know, changing a new team. Yeah. Even increased, same with Christian Yelich, right? I mean, we're arguing the same thing. Changing a new team maybe could have helped him for the better. And I think once... He started, you know, to get carried away and took all those steroids. But, you know, Barry Bonds is leading baseball in three career home runs, obviously, 762 home runs, 2,558 walks, along with intentional walks, 688. I and mean, those will never, never be beaten. I think that's that's something to look at, too. I think he's a Hall of Famer, no matter yeah. what. I think there's no 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 doubt about it that this guy is a Hall of Famer. Derek Jeter, Hall of Famer, I don't think he'll be unanimous. I think he will. You think he will? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's just a lot of a lot of voters who won't maybe won't vote him unanimous. I don't know.
0: What do you think the reasoning will be?
1: Well He has the rings, I think he has the stat lines. Yeah, I mean he has the all star appearances, he has Rings.
0: Has the epic I guess finish. I guess
1: you're right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean
0: He yeah. never really had a decline in play, you know. hit his farewell year. It wasn't a poor season necessarily for him. Yeah. So Yeah,
1: that's true. Yeah, maybe maybe he is the second unanimous player. And of course the second unanimous player happens to be a Yankee, it's like Mariano. Much your dismay, I guess. Yeah. Omar Vizquel is a guy who I would look at and say, okay, kind of under the radar, but I think he makes the Hall of Fame. Maybe a guy in the Veterans Committee. Um, had a He was defensively, you know, just like Jackie Bradley Jr., phenomenal defensively, maybe struggled a little bit offensively. Yep. had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. He had 12 gold gloves. Wow. Phenomenal. I mean, considered probably one of the best defensive you know, left side of the infield shortstop and third base on a ballpark. Yeah. By far. And do you have any disagreements with me on that? Would you add, subtract? What would you do? Uh,
0: yeah, I think I pretty much agree with you for the most part. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I think as it gets closer, we usually have a better idea of what's going to happen. Because yeah. players campaign for this too. I think a lot of people forget about that. Especially wow. the ones that really want to, like the comments and the bonds. They meet with voters at times and talk to them about their candidacy. See, like, with TV shows and movies, they have the four-year consideration sort of thing, you know? And I think a lot of players have
1: do that, so. Yeah. I I agree. I think it's, it's as much of a campaign and you're kind of voting for yourself. It's like running for political office, yep. right? I mean, it, as much as it's people voting for you, it's about voting and marketing yourself. Yeah. All right, Nate, do we want to switch to the NFL draft, arguably the biggest thing of today, or any other baseball things you want to touch on?
0: Let's take a quick break so I can kind of get together my thoughts on the draft real quick. And then, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about that and more. All right. All right, we'll be back on Runners in Scoring Position. Hello, and you're listening to Runners in Scoring Position. With me still is Charlie. I'm Nate Jones. And I know we always talk baseball, but we kind of went quickly with the baseball news. And since today is the NFL Draft, we're going to be talking some NFL Draft right now. And if you're like, oh, I only listen to this for baseball, maybe this is a sweet little treat. Like, okay, I'm not really into the NFL necessarily,
1: but we'll talk a little bit about it right now. It's like mowing the lawn and then your dad hands you a $20 bill. It's a little reward at the end of the, end of the day. <laughs> you know, that's beautiful. I, yeah. I love the way you put it there. Yeah. So we're talking the NFL Draft, of course. And
0: we all have our opinions, and a lot of shared opinions are Kyler Murray is going to be the number one pick out of Oklahoma for the Cardinals. I think that's wrong, but to be quite honest, I don't know who goes there instead. What are your thoughts about
1: that, Charlie? Well, there's been a lot of debate on this, and the Cardinals are ultimately stuck here because the only reason that people assume Kyler Murray is going on is Cliff Kingsbury, the new coach at the arizona cardinals was a coach for the longest time at texas tech now kyler murray being a texas native was recruited incredibly hard by cliff kingsbury for years he's been the target of you know kingsbury's recruitment and says okay come to texas tech come play for the red raiders and murray ultimately decided to play for the sooners of with lincoln riley in oklahoma now there was a video that surfaced a couple years ago saying if I had the opportunity to take Kyler Murray number one in the draft, I would. That was from Cliff okay. Gainsbury. And now we are at that same scenario. For me, it doesn't make any sense to take Kyler Murray number one. And you know why? Because they had already drafted a quarterback last year in Josh Rosen. Rosen, Josh Rosen did not have a great year this year. Okay, He didn't do so hot. He had some of the weirdest stat lines that we have ever seen from a quarterback. Yeah. Okay. Incredibly weird pass completion and passing and had high yardage, low touchdowns, high interceptions. My theory is that I think they truly don't know who they're taking. And I think as weird and as cliche as that sounds, they have no idea who they're taking because frankly, they're looking to see what their best offer for Josh Rosen. Rosen is okay. going to be. And I think truly they're going to be disappointed on what they get for Josh Rosen. <laughs> I, really, because I think they're going to think, okay, first round pick, yeah. we're going to move up, we're going to get two picks in the first round, we'll address another need. Yeah. Frankly, I think they'll take, maybe they'll get a third round pick, and I think the teams that target him, I think New England would love a back backup quarterback because Brady's getting older, and I think he's got maybe five more years left in him. Maybe. But I think another team to watch out for, Nate, Green Bay Packers. Okay. Because I think Aaron Rodgers is on the fall here. They've been buddies. They trained together in California. And I wouldn't be surprised if Rosen is that backup quarterback. But I honestly wouldn't be shocked either if they take Murray number one. But let's say 6 o'clock rolls around. Goodell goes on the mic and they say the Arizona Cardinals select. I think it's going to be and Williams. I do not think Bosa fits there. I think ultimately it's Quentin Williams one. And then I think the if I say if the 49ers see that the Cardinals are not going to take Kyler Murray one, I think they trade back. Hmm. I really do. I think they trade with the Redskins or a team that really wants a quarterback at two because, you know, the Jets aren't picking a quarterback at three because they got Darnold last year. So yeah. I think they move back. They get a bunch of picks, and I think a team who needs a QB goes two, and then I think they take Dwayne Haskins at two. I think that's what makes the most sense to me because I think Kyler Murray, if he doesn't go one, he falls out of the top ten.
0: No, I agree with that 100%. I
1: just don't think he fits the mold of a number four pick with the Raiders, and as much as I've had people telling me that I think Murray goes four to the Raiders, I think they have other needs to fill, and I think... Haskins, if Haskins isn't picked at two, I think Haskins goes four. He Haskins will be the first quarterback 100%. taken, because I think Mayock and Gruden love Dwayne Haskins. And from what I've seen, Haskins has been shooting up their board lately. Impressed him with their combine, impressed him with their pro day in Columbus, is impressed him with their team meeting. So I take right now it's Haskins, and then potentially if we say Haskins is first QB taken off the board
0: yeah okay a lot of teams yeah. are impressed with Haskins mm-hmm. I you know the Broncos are one of those teams and the Raiders you're definitely Ian Rapport just suggested that they're probably taking Haskins it's not, like they think if he's available the Raiders might take him absolutely
1: before. I would take Haskins over Murray I just think he's more QB ready and from what I've heard on Twitter and from my sources is that Murray has an entitlement issue. Hmm. And I think it's because everything's been given for him, right? I mean, he was a first-round pick with the Athletics. He Everything has been given for him. He, from what I've seen on Twitter and from what I've heard, is that teams don't like him. They think yes. he's a little too cocky. I've heard that, yeah. He did not do well in his combine meetings. He actually polarized a lot of teams saying, we don't want this guy. And they actually questioned if he'd be a good enough leader for this team, which I think is a big issue. And what the reason why I don't like Kyler Murray is, I I don't know Nate if you saw this but did you end up seeing the interview with him and Dan Patrick? I did not. No. Okay, so there's an interview with him and Dan Patrick, and I can't remember when this was. I believe it was maybe week of the combine, and so Murray shows up, or it was maybe a couple weeks before the combine, and that kid just looked like he didn't want to be there, didn't want any part of that. Uh, Dan Patrick one of the most respected interviewers that we have ever seen. A great guy kind of knows how to ask the question. Yep. He was talking to Murray and Murray was just giving him answers like this. So Nate, pretend you're going to ask me about my future plans. Do I want to do baseball or do I want to do football? Why don't you ask me that? <laughs> baseball or football? I don't know. That, that's how the interview went. He just sat there and it was super awkward and you could hear his family in the back and he was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yep. I had no comment. And it was super awkward because you're sitting there and you're shaking your head and I'm not saying anything and you're like, why isn't this guy talking? Yeah. That's exactly how Dan Patrick felt. He just he was just sitting there and he wasn't saying anything. Man. So, unfortunately, I think Murray goes one. And I think it's just because Kiff Kling kingsbury loves murray yeah and i think it's a horrible pick and i'm kind of in the minority of that but i think from a logic standpoint you have to address the need which is quinn and williams you need defensive tackles at that spot at one you do not need a quarterback you have josh rosen he's been doing fine yep that's that's it fine he's just been doing fine um and then I think Murray goes one, Nate, I think Nick Bosa goes two. And we were actually talking about this, Nate, but there's been a little controversy with Bosa. And yeah. why don't you talk about this? And this kind of surprised me that you think Bosa would drop out of the first round. I think it could
0: happen. I I don't know where he sits. I think a lot of people assume he's going two. So if, for whatever reason, and there's been a lot of talks about the 49ers wanting to trade out of two. And in my opinion, this is 100% my opinion, It's because of this controversy. And John Lynch probably feels pressured to get the best player. Probably feels Nick Bosa is the best player. But maybe doesn't want him in his team's culture. Maybe he's heard things from players. He has some very vocal players in his organization. So maybe they've sent him a message like, hey, I don't really feel comfortable with this guy on my team. And so maybe he's trying to just draft out. And to me, what this does, if the 49ers move... It sends a message to the rest of the team that they don't want Bosa, and other teams are going to be like, why don't they want Bosa? Maybe he doesn't fall all the way out, but I think he maybe goes in the double digits.
1: I I don't think he slips that far. I, I just think Bosa is just too talented. He's too talented.
0: And that's my theory with Lynch trading out of it, because he's too talented to not draft.
1: Exactly. And I don't think he falls that far. I think Murray. I, I could see Murray falling Double digits. Easy. Oh, yeah. I could, And we talked about this. Because not everyone wants a quarterback. I, I think could, everyone can add defense, but yeah. not everyone can add a quarterback. I could see Murray falling all the way to 13 with the Dolphins. Dolphins, okay. Because I think after pick, I mean, and we were talking about this, and I think if the Broncos had to pick between Drew Locke, and if they had to pick between Kyler Murray, I think you'd pick Drew Locke. Because I think Drew Locke better fits their offensive scheme. Now, Murray, I feel like, is just such a niche player. Because he's, because that Oklahoma Sooners offense just isn't replicated in the NFL. Yeah. That run and gun style offense. I mean, there's not a lot of teams who can run that effectively, and the Big Twelve is just such a weird conference. I mean, there could be a hundred ten points a game combined. You know, you could have, the game could end fifty five to fifty two. Yeah. And Murray thrived and succeeded on that, but there's not a lot of Big Twelve quarterbacks who you can name who succeeded off of that. Right. No, it's something to think about. Um, And I think first two, I think if it's the way it's projected, I, I would think if I were Steve Kime right now, who's the GM of the Cardinals, I think there's going to be a little bit of a power struggle right now, because I think Kingsbury is going to want to say, okay, well, let's take Murray. Why aren't we taking Murray? But I think Kime's more experienced. He's has a little more time under his belt. And I think he's going to say, okay, let's, why don't we go with the practical route here? And I think there's going to be a little pull and tug. Okay. Because people are going to be like, okay, well, why don't we do this or push him out sort of thing. Um, Bosa, for me, I feel like there has been some issues with his tweets. That is a big issue. Um, And like we said, we haven't really heard much about this. Unlike Laramie Tunsil last year with what happened with him. I mean, Laramie Tunsil, I think, was a consensus top three pick up until that video came out. Yeah. That was a huge issue because I think it was his stepfather who released that video and then gone. Teams were like, okay, we're not going to do this. They dropped him all the way to 13, which is the Dolphins, the same exact spot they picked last year. Um, And this is, in the Vikings' standpoint, this is an issue of need because this has been a huge debate. If all of the available offensive linemen are gone at 18, do you take the best position player available or do you trade back? If I'm the Vikings, I don't do either of those. I trade up. I make the move before other teams make the move. I trade up, you could say, anywhere in picks, six through nine. And I would trade up and I would get the top offensive tackle and I would take them and I would address that need because really it doesn't matter what you go two or three. I think you take the top offensive tackle and you don't wait for other teams because... If teams really need picks, they're going to trade up above you, and they're yep. going to take them, and they don't care. No, 100%. They're just going to take them. Um, I, I easily could see four quarterbacks being taken in the first round here. I think it's going to be Murray, Haskins, Locke, and Daniel Jones from Duke. And I think once the quarterbacks start going, then teams are going to start taking quarterbacks and overreacting. And that's what we saw at the Vikings too, right? I mean, the Vikings when they took Laquan Treadwell, <clears throat> they got so nervous because all of these wide receivers were gone, 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 gone. And they thought, okay, we need to draft a wide receiver. Guess who is still on the board? Michael Thomas. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And it's, it kind of happens pretty quickly. You, Oh yeah. How
0: much time do teams have? 10 minutes. 10 minutes. So that's like a lot. You're looking yep. at arguably thousands of players, <laughs> you know, that you could possibly draft and it's, very difficult to assess in 10 minutes, especially if your guy's gone or you're noticing a trend that you need late that you're planning for later. Like you're talking about the wide receiver. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting one thing that I think could throw a wrench. And this is a, a recent development. Um, all pro cornerback for the Denver Broncos has Chris kind Harris. of been in an interesting debate about salary with the Denver Broncos and John Ellie himself. Talks have not been going well. John Always said recently he hasn't even looked at negotiation or contracts recently. And I think that has definitely hurt him because Harris wants a good deal or he wants out. Now, in John Elway's defense, Harris did not play super well last year. And Harris's defense, he was an undrafted free agent who has excelled for the Denver Broncos and probably deserves like a 2-3 year 13 to 15 million dollar deal which is kind of what he's looking at I think he's asking for four years but I'd say maybe two to three is where the Broncos should offer him do you think the Broncos John Elway who is very much anti-drama just doesn't want to deal with this and trades him
1: tonight absolutely this is when your peak value is right yep I would trade him get rid of him and I, and you I think Chris Harris trade him to Harris? draft another cornerback um, I would trade him to get picks and then see what you need I I wouldn't be surprised because what in the final mock draft they had Devin Bush linebacker. What about if you trade Chris Harris, get picks, see if you can get in the late late first round, and see if you can get Daniel Jones or a QB, and you go linebacker QB. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I think another name to watch who's going to get traded tonight. I think Kyle Rudolph gets traded from the Vikings. Really? I, I think here's here's my theory. I think if all of the good offensive guards and offensive linemen are gone yeah. at 18 and you have T.J. Hawkinson or Noah Fant available at 18, top tight end, yeah. I think you take them. Wow. And as much as I think, OK, that's overloading on tight ends. Guess who needs a tight end? New England because Rob Gronkowski has gone. You get a veteran presence in there in New England. Bill Belichick would love that because I think if Bill Belichick had to pick veteran presence or unproven rookie talent, you would pick it, take veteran presence all day. Because at this point, Rudolph doesn't need a lot of coaching. He would go for cheap. Plus, at 18, you would you would start over at the tight end position and give Kirk Cousins an offensive weapon. And then you would still have the ability to address the offensive lineman at two or three, okay. in rounds two or three. But I think Kyle Rudolph is on the trade block tonight if something goes wrong. That's, that's... what I think. I think it probably won't happen, but that's just saying... If all of the offensive tackles are gone, all the tight ends are gone, or excuse me, if all the offensive tackles are there and for some reason you have Hawkinson or Fant available at 18 and you take them, And I think another guy who is not named an offensive guard, I think you have to look at Rashawn Gary. Okay. Now, Rashawn Gary, for those of you who don't know, is an edge edge position at Michigan. And if he didn't have his injuries, Nate, he would be a top five pick, but he has a labral injury. And this was similar to what happened with Shaq Lawson. And so Shaq Lawson came from Clemson and was drafted by the Bills, but he had a labral injury. And basically that affects your shoulder. And, you know, for edge rushers,
0: that's
1: a huge part because you're trying to get around the tight end and you're trying to, you know, get around and sack the quarterback. Yep. So that's a huge issue. Um, Another stat I found, Nate, is that on average there are about 6 trades in every first round of the draft so we're not looking at a final final roster here hmm. and i think teams that trade i wouldn't be surprised if the raiders jump from 4 to 2 i would not be surprised if the redskins jump to get go 2 because i think ultimately i unfortunately i think the redskins i think the cardinals go murray at 1 Hmm. Now, once I think Cardinals go Murray at one, I think 49ers are the most attractive team because everyone wants that two spot because they want to get a quarterback. Then I think Redskins trade with 49ers to get that second pick. They take Haskins. Third pick, I think, is and Williams. And then four the Raiders, that's going to be the interesting spot. Do you go defensive tackle? Do you get Ed Oliver? Or do you trade back, let someone get a quarterback, and then figure out what your options are. So, and yeah. and another thing, kind of tying this back to baseball, this is the NFL draft is probably the most fun part about the NBA or the NFL offseason. It's just fun. It's fun sitting down and watching the NFL draft. It's fun sitting down and watching the NBA draft and seeing where yep. Zion's going to go or RJ's <laughs> going to go. And fun seeing some international guy you've never heard of and then explode on the scene two years later. Yep. But the MLB draft just, isn't that exciting? You know, there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance no. around it. It's done in, you know, MLB studio. There's not a whole lot of Only trades. Only like the first
0: pick is usually really there. Yeah, the first I couple. mean,
1: yeah. Even then, people aren't there. It's not, you know, it's fans can't go and see it. Fans can go and see the NBA draft. Fans can goes, go and see the NFL draft. Fans or, can go see the WNBA draft. Exactly, you... and for, and for some reason, that's you know, oftentimes more accessible than the MLB draft. Which is insane being a top four
0: sport. And I think, yeah. I don't know too much about the NHL, but I bet you it's a Cats lot more fan accessible. accessible too. Yeah. yeah, and with the MLB draft, it's, how many rounds are there? 50. 50 rounds. It's over like four days usually. And you're not going
1: to see these guys until three or four years. Well, and half these guys, they won't even make a blip on the radar. I mean, well, you'll probably, <laughs> let's say, okay, so I'm doing mental math here. 50 times 30, there's 1,500 players drafted. You'll probably see 100, maybe 200 of those in the majors statistically. Oh, yeah. So
0: yeah.
1: we'll see. It's going to be a fun night. Um, Nate, final thoughts. Let's. I'm going to hear two opinions from you. I want to hear overall pick, first overall pick, Cardinals take who, and who the Broncos take, and I will say who. The Cardinals will take and then who the Vikings will take.
0: Okay. I as much as I disagree with it, I think it's a bad move. I do think the Cardinals have taken Kyler Murray. Mainly because I don't think they know what they want to do. <laughs> yeah. And we you talked about that earlier. So I think they take Murray because Kingsbury believes that's the best quarterback, which I, I believe he might be wrong. I don't obviously Kyler Murray didn't impress anybody. And then I think the Broncos if he's available, we'll go Haskins. Okay. I just have a weird feeling in my gut. I think John Elway really liked that he showed up in a John Elway jersey to his meeting with the team. I don't know. I I feel some sort of connection. As a Broncos fan, I want a quarterback who's different. I okay. don't want a Drew Locke. I want... If they're going to pick a quarterback, pick Haskins. Otherwise, don't touch quarterbacks,
1: please. Yep. Um, all right, so I'll say... I say one... And I, I got a gut feeling about this, too. I I think they pass Murray. I just have been kind of feeling this for the past couple days where I, just for me, I feel like it's almost too much of a liability to find a trade partner for Rosen. I I think they go Quinn and Williams one. I think Murray drops out of the top ten. And I think Haskins is the first quarterback taken either at two with the Redskins picking there or four with the Raiders. Okay. I think at 18, the Vikings, and obviously Nate and I's predictions. This is assuming no trades are happening, yeah, right? Because there could happens. be 47,000 trades in the first round. The Broncos could end up with the first pick. The Right. Vikings they could, could pick yeah. Emmett Smith at 10. You never know. <laughs> I say realistically, 18, Garrett Bradbury, center, North Carolina State. Realistically, I think that's what happens. Mm-hmm. He's been projected in most of the mock draft to go there. But if there's a top-end talent at another position there, I think you need to think, do I take need over best player available? Okay. Yeah. I think Murray, or I think Williams, Bradbury, and you say it's going to be Haskins and then Murray at one. But NFL draft always surprises, and that's kind of what's fun. You know, you never see a team out of nowhere rising or team out of somewhere <clears throat> coming up and down, and it'll be a fun night.
0: Awesome. So that does it for this week's show. Thank you guys for so so much for listening. We have a couple more shows left of the year, and probably forever for Runners in Scoring Position, but we don't have to talk about that for now. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. If you are walking in the hall right now and you're like, hey, I kind of like the, the talk about the NFL draft and more, uh, you can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. We're on all those. Just search UCCS radio sports. And we kind of divide it by show between the two-minute drill and runners in scoring position. So just look for runners in scoring position entitled to be named later. And, yeah. And if you're listening there on iTunes or anything, and you're like, you know what? I really like these guys. Give us a rating. It helps more people find us. We currently have nine five-star ratings. Oh, yes. nice. Yeah, so thank yeah, you guys for that. It. We appreciate that. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at RISP UCCS. And UCCS Radio is also on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Twitter, UCCS Online Radio. Instagram, UCCS Radio. Uh, We have a fun event, UCCS Radio, coming up. We don't have the time or date set, but we think it's going to be May 11th, the Upper Lodge. We're going to have an anti-prom. We're going to have a band. They're going to play. We're going to wear tacky clothes. It's going to be a fun time for everyone. So we hope to see you there. And, yeah, have a great rest of your day.
1: Bye.